0: Hola! Welcome back to Don't Take My Word For It. My name is Vasti. I'm your host. And this is a weekly podcast where I motivate, encourage, and challenge you uh, so that we can become better, better Christians. I do that to myself. Uh, More importantly, however, is the fact that I would like for you to do your own personal Bible study. because I can say a lot. Other people can say what they like. But when it comes to scripture, mm, you should go to the source and not really rely on what other people say. That's the best way to know, right? So that is what my main purpose is. I'm going to do my due diligence of trying to understand to the best of my ability, talk to you about it. But then it would be even better if you go into it yourself and study. And not just read it, actually study it, because there's a lot of deep stuff that can come out of just breaking apart two or three verses or like 10 for a whole week. Just do that. Um, So I'm glad you're here. Today we're talking about a story in Luke. Today we're reading on Luke 12 verses 1 through 12. However, I'm gonna first read verses 1 through 3. Then we're going to take a small pause, talk about those verses, and then continue on to the last few verses. So let's start with Luke twelve verses one through 3, uh, 3, 3. <laughs> 1 through three. Oh, it says in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, in so much that they trode upon one another. He began to say unto his disciples, First of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon housetops. Alright, let's talk about these and what came to my mind And after I prayed about it and tried to make notes and share with you what I was getting out of this. And the big thing is, there are a lot of metaphors that are used in the Bible. um, And sometimes they're used in the Old Testament as... Literal things, and then when it comes to the New Testament, because of the way that the Jews thought of certain things, it was used as a metaphor to help them understand things. Leaven is one of those things, and I had to look back to re- remember, I knew partially why it was used. And so, if you don't know, I want to tell you about it. So, leaven in the New Testament is a metaphor a metaphor which means uh, something that is a corrupt doctrine or an error that is mixed in with the truth. And so in verse 1, at the end of it, it says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So basically the hypocrisy of how they were mingling truth with what They were creating interpretations of the law and and enforcing things that weren't really written anywhere. It was just part of what they did. And by default in the definition means that what they were doing when they were hidden and not in public didn't really match up with what they were putting out there uh, is what Christ is saying is leaven. So it's a corrupt doctrine and it is an error that is mixed with truth and therefore is misguiding other people. So let's talk a little bit about leaven because it's a big deal and it's used many times in the word and a lot of Jewish traditions talk about uh, leaven and eating things without leaven. So I wanted to remind myself what that was and I may not have all the facts but this might help you understand things. So when you make bread, you need to use a rising agent that rising agent is what is considered leaven. Many times, or most of the times, we use yeast, but you could also say that baking powder or baking soda is a leavening agent or a rising agent. What that means is, or what the yeast does is that it it needs some time and a specific temperature and it uses something that is in the mixture of the bread and it ferments it let's talk a little bit more about that so passover there was a feast where there was no leaven that was included for 7 days why it was a reminder of how god took them out of egypt And you say, well, how is that a reminder? For two reasons. When you think of a rising agent, it requires time. So let's talk about that. If we talk about yeast, yeast is a fungus. It is a single-celled microorganism that can become multicellular as it continues to grow. It feeds on sugar in the dough. And it produces carbon dioxide and alcohol don't worry this isn't a science class i'm just sharing this so you can understand the concept of why god used this in passover for the jews that co2 and the alcohol produced creates fermentation the warmth provides provided in the proofing allows it to rise but It takes time for that to happen. So when you're making bread, you have to put it in a proofing drawer or somewhere that stays relatively warm. And then you have to wait half an hour, sometimes an hour, sometimes more than that, depending on what you're trying to create and the texture that you want in your bread or your rolls or whatever it might be. And so the concept of time there is one of the reasons why God used this is an example. So when he took them out of Egypt, he didn't do that. When he Once Moses was there, it didn't take a long time. He did it immediately. Because they, did, they were in Egypt for many years. However, when God did show up with Moses, that was an immediate they left. And so that's part of the reasoning there for the 11, as far as I have read and understood. Again, this is stuff that you can look into, and maybe you'll find... Even more stuff, or uh, you know, learn more about it than what I can provide here. This is just what I learned. Um, another thing is that it was a reminder of their affliction and their need of self-judgment or analysis. Why is that? Well, leaven is it has it provides a bread. If if you don't have bread that has a leavening agent like yeast. There's a lot less flavor in it, and it's flat. So it's like eating an export soda uh, without salt. Um, So there's no flavor. It's just a reminder of the affliction and reminding you to self-analyze what things you need to work on to a degree that leaven was also forbidden in any offering that was done in the tabernacle, as far as I know very interesting if you ask me and basically the verses two and three talking about nothing is covered that won't be revealed nothing shall be hid that won't be known to me what it means is hypocrisy is like leaven in the way that it fluffs stuff up and it will eventually be known that even though you look a certain way you're really mingling stuff in there that isn't real and it's gonna be known at some point or another that it's all fluff. That's the way I uh, you know, came to understand it. You should probably look more into it and see what else God has for you there. Okay, now for the rest of the verses that were a little bit harder for me and took me some time to get through, actually two days, and then more time after that to just organize my thoughts and prepare it for here. And those are our verses 4 through 12. It says this, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more than they can do. But I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear. Fear him which, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more valuable than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man, also known as Jesus, shall confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour that ye ought to say. Now you know why. In just those few verses, it took me a few days. And this is a reinforcement of what I've said before. You do not need to do this long reading to consider yourself to be studying the Word. In fact, I would say that might be detrimental. At least it was to me. I would read a whole lot, and then by the end of the day, I couldn't tell you what I had read that morning. Because I didn't sit to analyze and break things apart. So I would say, if you're trying to do this... Just pick a few verses and work on them. There's context context to be had with what happens before and after. So it's important to continue a series because sometimes things can get out of uh, proportion if you're trying to do it. If you're not going to be reading what's written before and after, I would say to find some sort of commentary or something that can further nourish your understanding. Uh, I have certainly had to do that because I don't know a lot of things. Anyway, back to the text. So the first two uh, or three verses, four to six, um, where it talks about be not afraid of them that kill the body. It's basically saying don't be afraid of man because humans can only do so much to your mind and to your body. And I want to pause here because I want to have a little bit of tact with people that have had or sustained abuse. Whether that's verbal or physical abuse in the part of humans. I do not think that what it's saying here is denying or neglecting or in any way minimizing that sort of thing. Humans can certainly cause a lot of harm. I think the focus here is an entirely different one, and I'll tell you why. In verse 5, it talks about, basically, your soul is in God's hands. So if you're going to care about what anyone else says or does to you, you should care about what God God does. Um, and the word fear is always important to check out what context is being used in, because fear can be literal fear wanting to run away. Anxiety. It could be respect. In this case, when I looked it up, the connotation seems to be marvel. The word marvel. In other ways, in other words, don't marvel at what man can do to you. Marvel at the fact that God holds your soul in His hands. And it it put me at ease that it was marvel, um, because it's certainly a a fear, uh, anxiety inducing thing. When you start reading these things and you're like, oh, what is it saying? You know, this, I don't like just talking about things that have to do with my soul and eternal damnation. Um, and maybe that's something that happens to you. But that is the context. Verses six to seven are important to park at. It's talking about five sparrows being sold in the market. And God, not having forgotten one of those. I mean, I don't know how many sparrows live in the world at one given time. But according to this, God doesn't forget a single sparrow. And sparrows are just animals. So how much more does he care and think about you? And he has the very hairs of your head numbered. I think we need to park here for some people. Um... In different parts of our life, we might struggle with this, but some people might struggle more with this than others. And if God doesn't forgive high sparrows, how much more does he think of you? You are valuable in the eyes of God. And some people, due to your experiences in growing up or trauma situations or... I don't even know. There are so many variables in life that can lead a person to think that they are meaningless. And it's this is here for a reason. And so if this is something you need, verses six and seven are something you need to study. You are valuable in the eyes of God. He knows every single hair in your head and he thinks about you all the time. And if he remembers birds... And he doesn't forget them. He certainly doesn't forget you. Okay. Moving on. Verse 8. Where it's talking about... This one always gives me anxiety. Because it's talking about... Hey, if you confess God or Jesus before men... Then Jesus shall confess you before the angels... When you're in the presence of God. However, if you deny him and you are ashamed of him then the same will happen to you. And for many people that uh, don't uh, study this further or you're just new in this, you might get the, the understanding that this means that if at one point I'm ashamed and I don't declare that I'm a believer in Jesus, that that means I'm going to hell even though I have already done my confession. I would say to you, I'm not a Bible teacher and I'm not there yet. However, I can tell you with all confidence that that's not what this means here. And how do I know that? I'm not going to tell you some profound thing here. But think about a very important person that did this. And that gives me peace. Peter, one of the greatest apostles and disciples, denied Christ three times within an hour. And completely negated three years of fellowship with Christ within an hour. And he already knew because Christ told him he was going to do it. And it says he cried bitterly when he denied him. And it wasn't, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in that kind of thing. No, he said, I don't even know this guy. I don't know who that is. Which is even deeper and more profound. Is there evidence anywhere in the word that because he denied Christ, he's not going to be in heaven? absolutely not however there was a deep shame that he sustained on earth after he did that and i'm sure that there will be some sort of reprimand in heaven and some shame that he will feel when he's in the presence of his maker and i would say that that is what this verse is saying here if you deny christ in any way here in front of men there will be a shame that will happen when you are in the judgment throne, and you come before him, inerrantly because you know what you have done, and there will be some sort of, some sort of um, uh, punishment for that. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't mean that you are going to go to hell. That is not the way I understand that here. And using Peter as an example, I think is a good way to give us some calmness about that. the harder part of the verse. I could have just ignored it and not talked about it, but that's not how I work. <laughs> I really dislike when certain subjects are not talked about simply because they are difficult and because uh there is a certain deeper respect for the subject because uh you know we we don't want to do the word of God misjustice and sometimes when we try to understand things we changed the intention with which God put it there, and I do not want to do that. I've prayed about this. In fact, the rest of this episode all was recorded uh, about two weeks ago, or maybe uh, longer than that, and still, at this time, it has taken me a deeper dive and a deeper search to, tr- to make sure that what I think I understand is backed up by one reading. Even still, I would like for you to look at these references yourself. Because again, I can make a mistake. Do your due diligence. I am not the authority in the scripture. And neither is any human. Uh, But I do think that other people do have more knowledge. And so if this is something that you don't feel I adequately explain. And you want to look at it yourself. um, I think that's a wise thing to do. So. What verse am I talking about? Verse 10, the second part of it, which says, But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. I don't know about you, but the anxiety bells toll when I hear that. Uh, I immediately, I want to know what it means. Have I done it? What's going on here? I think to better understand that, first I'll give you a study note that's in my study Bible, and then we'll go to the... uh, Count in Mark that I feel explains things a little bit better. Study Bible says that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is to attribute to Satan the works of the Spirit. That is the unforgivable sin. So let's go there and read it. Okay, so Mark 3, verse 28 to 30. And I think it's important to see all three of those and to read. The chapter before and the chapter after. Because sometimes if we just look at one verse, we miss the context of all of the things that are happening. So I will attempt to do that. This says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. But is in danger of eternal damnation. Don't you love that there is a but there? <laughs> I love that that it's it's uh he hath never forgiven us, but there's danger. So it's almost like, well then what does it mean? Is it not forgivable or are you just in danger? And when does that apply? Verse thirty says, Because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Oh, That gives us a better picture. So what happened right before this? There was a multitude. And uh, the scribes came from Jerusalem. And said that Jesus had Beelzebub and the prince of the devils. And that the reason why the spirits were being cast out was because he had Satan's power, not the Holy Spirit. Um, And so Jesus confronts them. This is verses 20 to 27, if you want to look at them. Jesus confronts them and says, how can Satan cast out Satan? Like, that doesn't make sense. And if a kingdom is divided against itself, it can't stand. So if Satan rises up against himself and be divided, he can't stand, but he has an end. So, basically he's saying that... You're saying that I have... I'm using Satan's power to take out demons. But the demons are part of his group and how he works. And that doesn't make any sense. Because this isn't, you know... A play at thrones or seats or... uh, The house of cards or something. Where you have to do all these little plays. And pretend that these this one's part of the other team. That's not how the spiritual, spiritual dimension exactly works they do try to appear like they're a good thing in in the enticing part but in the actual spiritual realm i don't think that satan would be dispelling out his own workers like that's not how he operates and that's what jesus is saying here and when you take that and add the verses that come later where he's saying he that blasphemes against the holy ghost won't have forgiveness but is in danger of eternal damnation it means now that you're understanding You have heard me multiple times say that I have been anointed by God the Father. That I am the Messiah. And he has spoken for a while now about this. And he continues to do so. And this isn't the first time where they say, no, this guy, the reason he has power. Because they didn't deny his power. What they said is the reason he has power is because Satan. They use the words Beelzebub, but it refers to the same thing is because he has that spiritual power. That is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Uh, And even later on, one of the biggest problems that the scribes had were when he started to say that he could pardon sins. And uh, if you're used to listening to gospel-related things... It might become not so obvious to you how crazy this might have sounded. That doesn't take away the fact that a lot of this is uh, faith-based. But these people refused to believe that this was in fact the Messiah, even though they were seeing sign upon sign that clearly this man had power. And it wasn't just any kind of demonic power, because demonic power existed before Jesus came. So there had to be a massive difference. Um... Plus, I'm sure Jesus had just an impact when he was around people. Uh, Because even though he was fully man, he was also fully God. So I have to believe that there was something about him that just commanded your attention. It, It was different. But if we think about it, that is part of the problem that a lot of people have with some priests nowadays. That They say that because they are ordained by God, therefore they, through God, have been granted the ability to pardon their sins. Which is nonsense. Only Jesus can do that. But also, you know, I can understand why these men were like, hey, that's not what we've read in the Torah. This doesn't make any sense. That's not how this works. I understand. And I think that is why the phrase that says here, is in danger of eternal damnation, shows even God's mercy here. Because he's saying, this is a forgi- an unforgivable sin, but because I hadn't talked to you about it yet... I'm just gonna say that you are in danger of eternal damnation. If you continue to attribute my works to Satan instead of the Holy Spirit, like I clearly have shown, then that's where this phrase enters in. That is my understanding of it. I'm gonna look up here at some of the notes in the study Bible for this reference. It says, Um, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is attributing Jesus' work to Satan, claiming that Jesus was empowered by evil. Um, so I think it's very specific to that. Again, am I an authority on the scriptures? No. Uh, do I have all the answers? No. I am trying to do the text justice by looking at what came before, what came after, reading commentaries from people who have studied for a lot longer and no more than I do. Uh, but I am still weary of saying anything with definitiveness. And so what I would tell you is, of course, listen to what I have to say. But read it yourself and, and figure it out. Because I don't want to be a conduit for something that is not what God means to inform us of. Um, this is what I believe and understand it to mean. Uh, and I don't think I can talk any further because that's, that's where my knowledge ends. And so I'm going to be responsible and stop here. And hopefully that clears it up for you again if you're interested in knowing more. I suggest you look up a few commentaries there's probably books on this that I have not had the ability to read because of my eyesight and just uh, access to them but I'm sure that there are there is more, and so you should do your due diligence and look at this at the very least. read the passage and make sure that what I'm quoting to you is actually what's in there. I'm using the King James version of the Bible, so if it sounds a little bit different, that might be why um, but there 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 it is that the difficult spiel in the verse um, i I also want to encourage you that. This might happen to you at other times, and that does not mean that when you encounter things that sound scary, or sound like you can't understand it, or sound like they conflict with something else, just pause for a second and don't freak out. You can put it in what I like to call an archive for a little bit, sit on it, pray about it, and then take out time to further study it analyze the context what came before what came after what is the author what was his intentions who was he speaking to all of these things matter uh and I think instead of shying away from topics that uh we're afraid to say black and white this is what it means and and it's confusing to us instead of shying away We need to tackle them. We have to talk about them. And that's what I'm trying to do while still being responsible and saying, hey, I don't hold the authority of what it says here. Uh, I'm giving you what I think it means based on what I studied. But you have to look at the text and figure that out for yourself. I hope I did that faithfully uh, for you today. That's all the time that we have today, so I'm going to start saying my goodbyes, but before I do that, I wanted to thank you, uh, for taking out the time to do this, and think about these things, and meditate. I know it's not always easy, sometimes we're in the mood that we don't really want to think about heavy stuff, or important things, uh, we just want something easy, please give me something easy, but that's not always what we need, so that's what this channel is for, uh this year for me the theme is I need to grow up and I'm not going to grow up if I don't challenge myself along with some motivation and encouragement in the way of course but to grow up I need to challenge myself and I can't do that if I don't use the mirror that God provides in the word of God and I have to study it myself, not just listen to somebody else talk about it. Because there is a difference when you're doing something and you're reading something and someone brings it up and you're like, oh, 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 I remember the the thing that I read and this is what I found out. What do you know? It just creates this new excitement within you. And some things you'll understand and some things you won't. And with further study, the Holy Spirit will reveal some things. And with others, you'll need to look at commentaries And maybe wait to the season until you're ready to understand certain things. And that's okay too. But I'm excited that you are here. I hope to see you next week at Don't Take My Word For It. And take up the challenge. Do your own study. And find out something that I possibly can't share because I don't know myself. But God will be good to you and reveal it to you. So... See you next week.